Glad y'all are here. Uh, I'm uh, excited to see this room slowly populate, and it's uh, we'd hoped and expected. Well, we expected and hoped that it would be a migration. I guess we didn't hope. There's Walter. Hey, Walter. We didn't uh, hope that, but we expected kind of a migration as people sort of repopulated this, you know, space and and time where we don't really know what to expect. It's it's. Um, you know, we don't know how this is going to unfold as we gather together and as schools start to meet and things like that. So we move forward carefully, uh, wisely. Uh, I think the measures, I believe the measures that we're taking are, are, uh, are helpful. Uh, folks that are here can let you all know online. And, um, you know, Trevor, if you can even do this, if you can pan around the room, we did this a couple weeks ago, it just kind of gives folks a chance to see what this looks like. There's still plenty of open spaces. Uh, we have the room set up in groupings. We have sort of family-friendly groupings uh, where there's, for example, right there, the front row is closed off uh, to seating, but the back row is a place where a family with some little ones can sit and kind of have their kids sort of contained, like a little uh, corral, you know, so to, so to speak. So if you need that, that's totally uh, understandable. This could be a, a long time to have a little one sit, and we don't have childcare going right now. So that is con that's a complication, and we totally understand that. Some of you aren't here because of that, and um, uh, there's lots of margin here. I can, I can let you know that. If someone gets too loud where you can't even hear each other, then that could be difficult. But uh, we are trying to make it possible for families with littles to get, regather with us. Um, there's a space right outside the back building here. We have been setting up a speaker, but I'm not sure that we're doing that right now because I'm not sure anybody's using that space. But if you need that space and would like to have a speaker out there, we can do that in the future. So, um, you know, just, just realize there's lots of margin, lots of understanding here too. There are folks that aren't here because we're wearing masks. And I get that. I, it's a strange time and it's a strange expectation for folks. And some folks recoil at that thought. And I understand that. Um, we want to follow the governor's guidelines and we um, don't feel enslaved to that either. It's just not a hill that we want to die on when it's a very easy thing to do. Some people are here this morning because we're wearing masks. So consider that. Um, if you're at home and you're considering why we're doing this, consider that some are here because we're taking those kind of measures, because we're sitting in groupings, because we have an exit on this end, or excuse me, an entrance on this end, an exit on that end. Uh, we're trying to be loving uh, toward our neighbor by wearing masks. Now, some of you, I realize, have uh, asthma, uh, breathing issues. Some of you have a mask that's real restrictive and you feel like you're about to suffocate at any given moment. Just pull it away from your, your face. We're sitting distances from each other right now that would allow for that, you know, to take a breather. So don't, don't feel like I'm going to rebuke you from the pulpit here if you pull your mask away from you. I, I won't embarrass you. I won't even notice it, to be honest with you. So, uh, but if you need to do that, please do that. We want this to be as comfortable as possible, but as careful uh, and wise as possible as well. So, little housekeeping stuff there. A uh, couple other things. I want to just let you know that we have some staffing changes that are taking place and that are, are about to take place. Erin uh, Adele has given her notice uh, this week, and she'll be leaving the staff by the end of the month. Uh, Grace Drake, is, I saw Grace earlier. There's Grace, is going to be our interim uh, through mid-November. Uh, we have published the open position, and Grace is going to be learning the ropes kind of mirroring Aaron in these next few weeks as Aaron finishes out the month of August. Aaron got a, a job opportunity with Remax right here in Greenville, which is something that she wants to do long-term. Their family is looking at going in that direction uh, for a sort of a retirement income. Uh, just made a lot of sense timing-wise. So um, 
give Erin your thoughts on how she's moved. I think there's, there's uh, lots to celebrate there. She served our body and Lord served us through her for the last eight years or so in ways that, that you can never even know, in ways that really have been helpful. And um, just uh, let her know you're praying for and that you're thankful for how she served us. And pray for Grace as she's learning the ropes. And, um, you know, that, that that'll, that'll be a good, you know, transition time. Uh, can, and pray also for Jenny Goodman, who's going to be starting our um, um, children's director position Wednesday the 17th is when she officially starts. So she's going to be navigating uncharted territory and trying to figure out how to put together a children's ministry uh, in this season. So um, I can't imagine uh, that we have a, a better head and heart around it uh, in Jenny. So that's, that's, we, we have lots to celebrate in the Lord bringing Jenny to that position and um, lots to pray about as a, as a congregation. So more housekeeping stuff. Now we're going to pray for the Kumbi people of India, 18 million strong, 0.05% of which are Christians. We pray for a people group every single Sunday. And we pray that the Lord would draw them. We pray the Lord would send people to share uh, Christ with them. So we're praying for the Kumbi people. Uh, they are 99.4% Hindu, uh, worship many gods, anything moving, uh, anything that they can, uh, pan, pantheistic uh, in nature, Hindu faith. So let's pray for this people group. I want to pray for our local church, too, for the House of Prayer right here in Greenville. Uh, House of Prayer lost their pastor, uh, uh, passed away this last week. His name was Jerry. He was single, uh, so I, I don't think he's leaving a family, but he's leaving a church family, and a church family's reeling from uh, a loss that, from what I understand, was not anticipated. So lots to pray about, and we're in a study on prayer, so this is not a check in the block. This is a big part of how we gather and what we do when we gather, so let's go to the Lord. Our Father, what a wonderful morning we have together. We are so thankful for this space. We're so thankful for the uh, freedom that we have to gather. Lord, we're thankful too for those who are gathering with us online right now or will listen later on today or this week. Lord, we're, we're thankful that you use all kinds of mediums and um, ways for us to connect in this really strange season. And we're thankful that you are with us. Uh, thankful that you have not... Um, um, you're not on vacation, you're not traveling, you're not um, inattentive, but that you are reigning and ruling at this very moment uh, in a time that's really unsure for many people as they're navigating the fall and the uh, classes that will begin or in some cases have already begun, new jobs, new positions, new circumstances, uh, all the things that 2020 has brought us, um, that you are, you are present and you are with us. Right off the bat, before we even bring any petitions to you, Lord, we want to say thank you for being great and with us. Lord, we want the hallowing of your name. We want in spaces and places and circumstances and environments where your name is not counted holy, like among the Hindu people that are worshiping all manner of gods, Lord, that you would hallow your name. We pray that your kingdom would come and break in spaces and places and circumstances and hearts where you're not reigning and ruling right now. Lord, we pray that you would break in and draw people to you and that the kingdom would advance and, too, that we could be part of that work somehow. Lord, we pray, too, for your will to be done here um, on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for your perfect 
will to play out. And Lord, in those circumstances where it seems to be a permissive will that is less than ideal, we trust and know that in those circumstances, even maybe especially in those circumstances, you're working all things together for good for those called according to your purpose. Uh, we have so much to be thankful for just in those three petitions, Lord, and to hope for and to pine for. But Lord, too, we pray for daily bread and provision. We pray that you will care for us, continue to care for us as you have. Pray that you would not give us too little or too much, but that you would keep us in a place where we need to continue to draw on and rely on you. Lord, we pray, too, that you would forgive us our many sins, even those ones that we know and realize, hopefully we realize we don't even know we've committed. We're thankful that you forgive sins that are unconfessed, that you're that kind of God, uh, that you are so gracious toward us when we are so ignorant to our own sin and our own hearts even. Lord, we do pray that you would, that you would forgive our sins and we make a beeline to the cross in that request, knowing that you have absolutely Past, present, and future sins have been forgiven in the person and work of Christ. The blood was ample, sufficient, um, perfect, cleansing, and enough. Lord, this morning, too, we pray that you would um, keep us um, from temptation and that you would deliver us from the evil one. Lord, we want to pray for a, um, a local church in our community as well, for the house of prayer. Uh, just praying, Lord, that you would... Be great in the house of prayer this morning as they are dealing with a terrible loss and, and uh, losing their pastor, Lord, that those that were close to him and the church as a whole would celebrate that we grieve hopefully, not as the world grieves, but we grieve knowing and trusting and believing that he is with you um, in glory right now. Lord, we are entrusting the house of prayer to you this morning. We're praying for uh, this people group. Uh, Lord, we're praying for how we spend these next few minutes, that you will be great among us and in us. And pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You can turn to Matthew chapter 6. I heard a uh, quote, some, I think it was a few months ago, and uh, it was from an a Ephesian, uh, Ephesian philosopher. Uh, I guess you could say he's Greek or Roman philosopher. His name was Heraclitus, and uh, this quote, I, I've really enjoyed this quote. It's, it, he said, no man ever steps in the same river twice, for it's not the same river, and he's not the same man. It was insightful, I just kind of a general insight into the uh, dynamic experience that we have in this world. The world is moving and changing, and we're moving and changing at the same time. But I've enjoyed the quote more in the sense of what we do on Sunday mornings as we gather that we actually are stepping into a living stream when we climb into the Word. Uh, the Word is, is, is timeless. There are truths in there that are unchanging, but yet it's washing in new ways every time we step in. It is this living experience that's animated by the Holy Spirit that we step into this beautiful stream that might look the same each week, but is different every single week as a new um, uh, gulp of water washes us. And at the same time, we're different each time we gather. So this living river connects this morning with the living people who are different today than we were even yesterday. 
We carry different desires and needs and hopes and fears and anxieties to this living word every time we gather. So it's a beautiful, beautiful experience. Miraculous, almost, we could call it, every time we gather to step into this wonderful river. And this morning, we're stepping into the river of a teaching on prayer. He's been teaching us for the last, this is the 11th installment in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, which is right smack dab in the middle of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. So y'all stand with me, if you would, for the reading of God's Word. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us, please, through your word. Speak to us anew in this new stream in this new spot that we stand, wash us, cleanse us, uh, overwhelm us even, leave us completely uh, changed because of the time that we've spent in your word. Uh, Renew our minds, uh, stir us up by way of reminder, equip us to walk out and to pray well. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. There are a few observations that I want to make at the beginning of this um, passage as we climb in, we're going to sort of break down this last of six petitions this morning. The Lord's Prayer has six very simple petitions. We prayed in many ways, prayed through them this morning already, but this morning we're going to be focusing on the very last one, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This petition in some ways is conditioned by the fourth petition. We considered this last week. The fourth petition is a request for daily bread, which sort of opens up the window and the consideration that each of these are daily burdens. We should pray daily, and in those daily prayers, that we should be praying for the hallowing of his name. We should be praying for the kingdom coming, the advancement of his kingdom. We should be praying for his will to be done here. Praying for daily bread, of course. Praying for forgiveness as we forgive others daily. This daily word saturates and conditions all the other petitions. So right off the bat, we can consider this last petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, should be uh, considered daily. Now he's asking, our Jesus is teaching his followers here to ask our Father in heaven, our shared Father, to lead us not into temptation. Okay, I hope that some of you were sort of like, man, I cannot wait to see how he's going to explain that. I hope as you were anticipating this morning and even maybe right now, like I cannot wait to make sense of what sounds like you're on a diet and you're praying, Father, lead me not into the the kitchen. Right? You would hope you wouldn't even have to ask that because he knows you're on a diet. He knows we don't want to be tempted. So why would we even have to ask? It is admittedly concerning. And we're going to sort that out in just a moment. And he's also teaching us as part of the same petition. That's why I'm considering this as one single petition. He's asking us to pray that our Father would deliver us from evil. 
Now, there's a better translation that I want to just point out to you. It's not, we're not going freestyle here, doing anything crazy. Uh, there's a note probably in the bottom of your ESV. Some of you have a translation or version that you use. I think the NIV uses a, a different phrase here. Instead of deliver us from evil, it actually identifies the evil one. And that's a really good way to think about how we're going to handle this this morning. And it makes a lot of sense of helping you sort out the first part of the passage. Deliver us from the evil one. So just taking together, pray then like this, our Father, daily, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, now this prayer, let me just kind of pan out just for a moment before we climb into this last petition and just point this out to you. This prayer has dealt with the gamut of the needs that we face as human beings. Followers of Christ, I should qualify the gamut of what we should be living in and walking in as followers of Christ. Followers of Christ across the board should be burdened for the hallowing of his name. And even daily, we should be burdened for his kingdom to come. We should be burdened for his will to be done. Of course, we're to ask for daily bread. We should be about the work of confessing our sins to him and reconciling and keeping short accounts with one another. This thorough prayer guide covers the gamut of a hearty conversation with God. And some of the families with little ones, and we're teaching our kids to pray, man, let's go right here. Some of us who are the parents teaching them to pray, let's go right here. Some of us who are moving in the empty nester direction, let's go right here to this beautiful, simple prayer to see a wholehearted, a, a wholesome, hearty meal and a conversation with the Heavenly Father. And it's so cool that he landed the plane, finishing this gamut-covering uh, teaching with a few words about temptation and deliverance. Okay, before we climb into it, just consider. He's touched on so many things, and here at landing the plane, he deals with temptation and deliverance. These apparently are every bit as important as asking for daily bread. Daily praying about this matter of temptation and deliverance. This petition has both regal elements, his, his hallowing of his name, his holy name, his kingdom come, his will be done, and common elements. Daily bread, daily forgiveness with him and with one another, and uh, dealing with temptation and deliverance. Okay, so let's climb into the passage. We're going to deal with this very last verse and see if we can make sense of this passage. I want to deal with a couple of translation issues. I always make a, or often make a, uh, it's, it's kind of a wrestling match with myself to try and figure out how much do I share. I don't want to bring my entire study into the pulpit. Because <laughs> then you can actually feel like if you actually achieved making sense of it, that you actually did the work. And when you didn't do the work yet of walking it out. So you can feel like you've accomplished something just by wrangling it and getting your head around it. So I want to be very simple, but there are times I do want to climb into it. And this is an occasion where I want to climb into a couple of very important words that are going to help us make sense of this passage. And we're going to try and make sense of it given the context. So the two words that are really going to camp out on this morning are temptation and deliverance. Temptation is in the first phrase. And deliverance is in the second phrase. Okay, so temptation. There's a noun version of the word that's periosmos. 
Okay, there's a verb version of the word is periazzo. Periosmus is the noun version. Periazzo is the, is the verb form. These two words in English are translated in our New Testament as temptation and trial and test. Okay, hopefully right off the bat you're going, okay, now that is going to be interesting because temptation and a test and a trial are two very different things, aren't they? Think about that for a moment. Temptation and a test and a trial are two very important or very different things, and it's important that we distinguish between the two of them. A parent in growing and raising up their child may put them to certain tests that grow them and shape them, but hopefully they're not putting them to temptations. You understand the difference? Yet this word in the noun form and the verb form is translated temptation, test, and trial, depending on who's using it, how they're using it, and the context. Okay? The noun form is what's used here in this teaching on prayer, temptations. The noun form is periosmus. Okay, so I want you to go to the book of James. I'm going to show you a, a, a writer that uses the verb form and the noun form, and he uses them in ways that are going to help us realize how confusing this can be, but it's also going to bring some clarity. Okay, so if you're a little confused before you have some clarity, then you're in good company. Okay, because I went through, and I'm not sure that I'm not still in the same place trying to make sense of this. Okay, so James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, or trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I want to read that again because I want to draw out the word and point out the word that is actually translated here by James, who was believed to be the brother of Jesus, mind you. Okay, a New Testament writer that grew up in the same home as our Lord. Okay, we would expect it's probably going to use the same kinds of words, the same kind of ways. Now, Jesus probably wasn't preaching in Greek. He was preaching in Aramaic. But Matthew recorded this in Greek. Okay, so we're looking to a writer here, James, who probably wrote this in Koine Greek. Okay, and use this same word. I'm going to point it out to you. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet temptations and trials are the same word in Greek. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, that's that periosmus that I just pointed out to you, of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I, I want you to just appreciate right off the bat, this can be really, really confusing. Let's acknowledge the confusion and see if we can make sense of this. Because in this case, this brother of Jesus, who likely grew up in the same household, if we believe this to be his brother, okay, he's saying, count it all joy when you face this periosmus. And yet Jesus is teaching that a follower of Christ is to pray, our Father, lead us not into periosmus. I mean, can you appreciate the difference? There's something interesting and something important going on here that we want to try and make sense of. In this case, James is saying, count it all joy 
It's going to refine you. It's going to complete you. And on the other hand, Jesus is saying, ask that the Father never leads you into this. We have a problem we have to reconcile. Okay, so let's look down the page at verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under, here it is again, periosmos. Blessed is the man who reigns steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Okay, so right off the bat from James, he's saying this thing that Jesus is saying, pray that you're not led into. James is saying, count it all joy when it happens. It's going to refine you. It's going to perfect you. And he's added to that, you can count yourself blessed. (laughs) This is seriously, seriously confusing. James presents this thing as a positive thing. And Jesus, using the same word per Matthew, writing it, presents it as something that you ask the Father, Father, please don't let this happen to us. Please keep us from this. Okay, so there's some interesting uses here. You could add to that how Paul uses it. Paul uses the word, the very same word, as examine. He wrote to the Corinthian church, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. This word is a mess. Now, we can trust our translations. I want to just set your mind at ease right now. You can trust the translation that's sitting in front of you, but it is a very difficult word. Now, there's some content that comes from this passage that we just read, or that we're about to read, I think, that will help you. Okay, if you're trying to make sense of how does God, over here we're supposed to ask the Father to lead us not in temptation, yet over here James is saying this is a good thing. It refines you, it completes you, it grows you, you count it all joy, and you're actually blessed when it happens to you. So here in the next couple of verses we can kind of begin the uh, exercise of sorting it out. Look at verse 13 and 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, now that's the verb form, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Collective exhale, right? Collective exhale. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. We can just go ahead and sell it right here, because James, the brother of Jesus, does it for us. God tempts no one, yet he absolutely tests his saints. He absolutely puts his saints to trials to perfect us and to grow us and to ready us for heaven. You probably think about God testing Abraham. He said, take your son, your only son. And he said specifically, I'm testing you. He said of the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God doesn't tempt, but he absolutely tests. So see, context is everything. He uses trials and he uses tests to sharpen and hone our faith. But yet we can know and trust and exhale that he does not tempt. So with just the first phrase, let's acknowledge with this first phrase, it kind of sounds like we're asking him not to do something that he won't do and doesn't do already, right? It almost seems like wasted words, although we have to consider we haven't met a a wasted word in the teaching on prayer yet. Sounds like we're asking him not to do something that he doesn't do, apparently, 
in the first place. He might test and try, but he does not tempt. So why are we asking, lead us not into temptation? Well, the rest of the petition helps us make sense of it. Okay? The rest of the petition has this other word that I want us to consider, this word, deliver. Deliver us from the evil one. Deliver is a super helpful word, and it really blows the whole thing open for us to help us make sense of it. Turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 27. I'm going to show you the only other place in Matthew where this word is used. This word, deliver, is just the key. I love it when one little... One little thing helps you sort of sort it out. And this is such, such a treasure, this word. Deliver is a very helpful word, and it brings out the point of the request. It helps make sense of a request of asking the Father something that appears he doesn't do in the first place, i.e. lead us into temptation, or he doesn't tempt us. Okay, so it can help us make sense of that. It's used in only one other place in Matthew, and that's right here. Matthew chapter 27, verse 43. Give you a little context. You can look right up the page. The heading that I have in my Bible, right, just a few verses up, up it, says the crucifixion. Okay, so Jesus is nailed to the cross. He's hanging on the cross at this moment where this word, this same word deliver, is about to be used. Okay? In verse 43, the crowds, they shout, or someone shouts out. He says, he trusts in God. Let God, deliver him now if he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. That word there, deliver, is the same word that's used over there in the second half of the prayer. Now, something that I think will kind of help you understand and appreciate what's being said here is look up a verse, one verse in verse 42. Jesus is nailed to the cross. I mean, nailed. He's beaten He's bleeding. His life is ebbing away. And they said, these same crowd that said, let him deliver him. They said, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He cannot save himself. That's the word or that's the concept of this unique word, deliverance. This word is appropriate, appropriately used in this context because he's nailed to a cross and appears to be completely hopeless and helpless. Death is inevitable at this point. In fact, they said he cannot save himself. He's beaten, he's nailed, he's pierced, and from the looks of it, he's completely helpless, literally, literally nailed to his crisis. Though we know otherwise, from all indications, you're looking at him. He looks completely Helpless, And the word chosen by those looking on him was a word they would use only for the most extreme helplessness. Deliver. Now here's the treasure of this word. If you've gone the distance with me so far. Here's the treasure. The use of this word implies the helplessness of the disciple praying this prayer daily. Complete with the imagery. Nailed to our crisis. Nailed to our problem. He cannot even help himself. Let that word wash over you, maybe for the first time as we're sitting here this morning and considering the disposition of the prayer as we come to him needy and we're praying, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver this seriously helpless disciple from the evil one.
That word deliver opens up the whole thing. In this prayer, the follower of Christ isn't asking for help with the evil one. He doesn't need an assistant. The follower of Christ needs a savior. The follower of Christ doesn't need a helper or an assistant. The follower of Christ needs a champion to fight the battle for him when it comes to the one we're talking about here, the evil one. Completely helpless, completely nailed to a cross, he needs a champion who will fight for him and a father who will protect him from the wiles and the clutches of the evil one. So do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us, there it is, from the evil one, means asking our Heavenly Father daily not to lead us into situations that would mean our helplessness before the evil one. That first part of that thing has got to fit to the second part of it. It's context of how that is handled. Father, do not lead us into circumstances where we will find ourselves helpless before the evil one. Okay, a very important interpretive tool here in Matthew chapter 4, and it's where we're going to spend really the rest of our morning. Uh, but I'd like you to turn there because it's, it's a dandy. Matthew chapter 4. It's like an interpretive parallel. Now, the problem is Matthew chapter 4 happened for us in February of 2019. Over a year and a half ago. All right, But in the reader, in the mind of the reader, in the, in the gospel of Matthew, as this gospel is being circulated among early saints, and they're reading about an event that happened right here before the Sermon on the Mount, it would have been fresh. So this event needs to be fresh for us as we consider this last petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, this, this, this is such a treasure. Okay, here it is. In Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, I'm going to read it again because hopefully you're beginning to see a little parallel there between what's going on over here in the request. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he's hungry, of course, And the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And you know how it goes. He says, it's written, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil then took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. You know how these go. He says, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said, all these I will give to you. You fall down and worship me. He said, be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him you shall serve only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is a glorious, glorious passage and a wonderful parallel to help us make sense of this petition. Because here the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tested Now, notice the word I use there. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tested, and there Satan does the tempting. If you want to try and make sense of how these words are used, it depends on who's using them and who's actually executing the verb and who's actually doing the thing. And in this case, God leads God the Son into the desert to be tested, and there Satan tempts him, not God. Satan tempts him. 
And here's what's so awesome that we should all celebrate is Jesus stands up to the test, right? He stands up to the test. The God-man resisted the devil successfully, and he did it on an empty stomach, 40 days empty. Okay, now here's why a follower of Christ is to pray, Lord, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's because we're in cahoots actually with someone else who had a very similar scenario. It's if they were similar in the case where there's Satan involved and there's food involved. And we're talking about our federal head, Adam and Eve, who went before us and with full bellies, likely on day one after creation week, with no ruts, no besetting sins at that point. They didn't have deep ruts that they fell into, bad patterns that would get them into trouble. They're sitting there with full bellies, having eaten from every tree in the garden, and now the forbidden tree, they fall to Satan. Man, what a contrast, right? The reason a follower of Christ is praying, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into a circumstance where we can be bested by the evil one is because we know our track record. We know that we only have one Savior who bested Satan, and the rest of us, on full bellies, on day one, can fall to the ways and the wiles and the prey, fall prey to Satan at any given moment. We don't even know what we're capable of, given the right circumstances. So the disposition of this prayer is, Father, lead me not in temptation, but deliver me from the evil one because I'm frail. <laughs> I'm feeble. On my best day, on a full stomach, I can be bested by Satan because he has my number. And he has the human number. He's been at this for thousands of years. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't get tired. And he's got an army at his disposal the wise follower of Christ knows that we should daily pray, Lord, I can be fooled and fooled often. Jesus succeeded where man failed. So someone familiar with the testing and temptation of Christ would understand this petition as a request for the Father not to lead followers of Jesus in the situations in which they will be exposed to Satan's tempting work. Jesus' testing and temptation ended so well, didn't it? Ours have not, have they? Man. I thought the disciples might be a nice example. Just consider this before we just deal with sort of the point. I'm going to leave you with the point this morning. But I thought the disciples are a great example. You think these guys might be different having spent three years with Jesus and we're coming up to the tail end of the earthly ministry of Christ as he's coming up to the moment of the cross on the eve of his arrest in Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. You can just listen to this passage. When they sung a hymn, they've had the Lord's Supper. They got the supper in their bellies. They went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter, you remember what Peter said? <laughs> Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Right? Man, all these guys might run, but not me. And Jesus said, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter emph emphatically says, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. You know how the story goes hours later. They can't even stay awake to pray. 
And then moments after that, Jesus is arrested and they run like a covey of quail. I will never leave you. Pride comes before a fall. And the wise follower of Christ prays daily, Lord, lead me not into temptation or I will fail you like a big dog. Keep me from that space because Satan has my number and I need thee every hour. This prayer is a daily prayer admitting that we are helpless before who Jesus identified as the ruler of this world, who John identified as the God of this world. We're admitting we're fooled on the first day with full bellies and often. (laughs) That doesn't stop. We're admitting that even when we think we're so sure that we're seeing things so well and so perfectly, it's acknowledging we are easily fooled. It's an admission that we have to come to him like a little child, dependent and needy. Father, tell me what's bad. (laughs) Guard me from what's bad. Guard me from what's going to hurt me. We're bringing to him all the sweetness of saying and singing, I need thee every hour. I'm weak, but you're strong. And may your grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. I think there's a beauty in this disposition. There's an attractiveness to this Christianity, to be honest with you. Maybe you know some of these Christians. These last couple of years um, serving with uh, Greg and Bill and Morris have been regular doses in men who are moving this way. And y'all are going to kill me for pointing this out. But I, Bill's a great example of a man that often says, I am so frail. And I need him so bad and so often. That Christianity is attractive because it's true. It's true. And it should condition all of us, Lord. We can be so easily fooled. I'll leave you with this thought before the supper. Years ago, many years ago, I was preaching through John chapter 10 on the Good Shepherd. And the more I studied the sort of the dynamics between shepherd and sheep, the more I realized this kind of came out of understanding how sheep work and how shepherds work, that the older sheep... The wiser sheep were not the ones who had figured out wolves. They weren't the ones that had somehow taken kind of an unofficial uh, agronomy class where they know what's um, poisonous grass and what's good grass. The wise sheep, the older sheep, what they did to make them wise is they stayed close to the shepherd. They stayed close to the shepherd. That's where the safety is. That's where the wisdom is. The encouragement this morning, saints, brothers and sisters at Crosspoint, and those joining us online, is pray daily, pray often, Lord, lead me not into this place where I am so easily bested. Deliver me from the evil one. Do what you do so well, delivery. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for this beautiful teaching on prayer. This has truly, truly been a treasure these last three months, Lord. You have been so good to us. 
to bring us such helpful um, truth, uh, so, so pra- such practical uh, goods to just walk in, to start today over lunch. Lord, we're thankful so much that these uh, things that we're praying and the insights around them are not only teaching us how to pray, but they're teaching us how badly we need you every hour. And you are so good to us to give us that access in the person of Christ. We enjoy him so much as we come to you in prayer. In Christ's name we pray, amen. There's a passage that I'd like to share with you as you get your supper ready there. Uh, the, you can grab your little kit there. Um, the little bread portion, maybe it's probably old hat for folks that are here. Some of you are here for the first time. You want to be sure you get this little clear thing off first. If you get the purple thing off first, then you're going to have a fun time trying to get that that little wafer out without spilling juice all over you. So, a little instructions there. Colossians chapter 1.13 is a passage I'd just like to share for us to consider together as we take the supper. Paul wrote, he says, He has delivered us. This is he speaking of the Father. It's, he's identified the Father in the previous verse. Our Father, we could say, has delivered us. This same word that's used there in our daily prayers. Deliver us from evil because we're helpless. We can't even help ourselves. This good Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Man, we know how he's done that, by our union with Christ by faith. For those of you that are trusting Christ and enjoying Christ as Savior and Lord, man, I want to encourage you in faith, let's make a beeline to Christ and take and eat. Finding our safety, our deliverance, our protection, our everything in him. Let's take and drink together. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your provision of a good meal. Lord, we leave not proud after this meal like the disciples did after the Lord's Supper. We leave not confident. Lord, we leave this morning confessing and knowing that we are fragile and feeble and fooled so easily on full bellies. But Lord, in this nourishment that we take this morning, we pray that you will move us and direct us in a way where we move wisely, humbly, carefully, thoughtfully, like children. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.